0: Jake, do you mind opening us up in some yeah, prayer? For sure. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Wednesday where we can meet and grow in your word. I pray that you would help Steve to share what he's learned through the week or through how long he's been studying. I pray that your word would be revealed to us, that you would open our eyes and our ears. And I pray that we would realize that this is you speaking to us and um, I pray that it would change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We are in Acts. I'm going to finish up chapter 5 tonight. So you can turn there. Yeah. I don't have the paper Bibles. So uh, your fake Bible on your phone? That's <laughs> good. We're the manuscripts for that That's fine. That's fine. We are in the book of Acts. The name of the series is The Works of God Through His People. So, the Acts of the Apostles, Acts literally means works, Apostles means sent ones, so the works of the people sent by God. That's what the book is about, and we obviously see the works of the early apostles, and we're also talking a lot about the works that God has to do in and through us as his people so that's sort of the focus of the series as a little bit of a recap last week we talked about we we were going through chapter five and the apostles were arrested put in jail the angel releases them they go out and continue preaching in Jesus' name and then they are arrested again and they come before the council and they are Right at the point where we stopped last week, the council became angry at basically the same sermon that Peter taught in chapter 2. They were cut to the quick, whereas the crowd in chapter 2 were cut to the heart. And the crowd in chapter 2 repented, and 3,000 were saved that day. But the Sanhedrin, the council that they stood before here in chapter 5, When they were cut, they responded with fury. So that's where we pick it up now in in verse 33. Chapter five, verse 33. And this is the uh, end of the sermon where Peter says, Jesus is Lord and savior and you killed him. And the Holy Spirit is now living in us and working through us. And they became furious at this and they plotted to kill them, it says in verse 33. 34 says, Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. And because of how I just pronounced it, I do think it's pronounced Gamaliel. There is an alternate spelling and alternate pronunciation that I'm going to go with, which is Gamliel. So from here on out, I'll be saying that. Or maybe just Gammy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Gamliel stands up. A teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put out the apostles for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan this work is of men it will come to nothing but if it is of god you cannot overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against god and they agreed with him and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them they commanded that they should not speak in the name of jesus and let them go so they the apostles here departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching jesus as the christ so i just wanted to like put out that section and then and then talk about it here first thing i want to talk about is this sort of differentiation at the end of what we just read between preaching and teaching this is one of the (coughs) few places where it makes that differentiation. And when we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there was another place where it, it, it made that separation between the gift of teaching and then the gift of pastor or, or preaching. I, I very much think that that's what we're talking about here. The, the word preaching in the original text is to proclaim normally good news. And so we would say, we would use the phrase to preach the good news, to, to preach the gospel. That's what the preaching entails. It's proclaiming good news. And teaching is sort of more of here's some information and here's how it ties all together. It's not necessarily just saying, hey, we are, you know, the gospel. We are sinners. We are broken. We are busted. We need a savior. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, became our sacrifice, died, and then rose again and ascended into heaven to to rule and reign in in heaven at the right hand of God. That is the gospel. That's proclaiming the, the good news that Jesus brought us. But teaching a lot of the times is kind of getting into the nitty gritty. And Here's how this thing ties to this thing and here's how everything fits together. And it's not so much doing that proclamation thing, but it's connecting a lot of the dots that point to the good news, of course. But as we talked about in the series that we did on the gifts of the spirit, Sometimes people somebody will have a gift of teaching but not not necessarily the proclaiming or the pastor calling. For instance, Jim Hutchinson, he he wanted to be a pastor and actually felt like God was saying, "No, you you have a gift of teaching, but I want you to teach." So that's why he is now a high school teacher and he uses that position to point people to God, but his gifting is more of teaching and not necessarily proclaiming. So um, I, I say that also because tonight we're going to do a little bit of both. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some teaching that's not so much proclaiming, and, and we're also, of course, going to be pointing all that to the gospel. For instance, one of the things that I wanted to do—I'm going to throw this up again. We've been talking about the temple, right? The apostles have been arrested in the temple. They've been preaching in the temple a lot of what we are talking about in this series involves the temple. And so I kind of wanted to just show you guys this, because I don't know about you guys, but like for a long time I would picture like, for instance, Jesus going into the temple to be blessed by the priest, or different things that happen in the temple, I would picture this sort of like European Catholic church, kind of dark, maybe some stained glass windows, and there's a guy standing there inside. But much of what happened at the temple was outside. We talked a little bit about the porch of Solomon. And it's, uh, I think it's up here. It's not showing it. But uh, most people say it was back here or right here, the portico. Basically, that's significant because that was the entrance place for everybody who entered the temple. Okay. So as they entered, the porch of Solomon is where sick people poor people, they were allowed to gather just on the outside of the temple to uh, ask for money, ask for prayer, ask for help as they, they came in. And as people came into this area, as you can see, the biggest area is called the Court of the Gentiles. Then as you got a little bit closer to the holy place, right, this is where the Holy of Holies, as we've heard it called many times, where the priests did a lot of the sacrifices. This is where the altar happened. And as you would walk in, the court of the Gentiles, it's not just because only Gentiles were allowed there, but it's because Gentiles were not allowed any further than this area. This is, right here, is called the court of women. Women were not allowed any further than this area. And inside here was the court of Israel men only <laughs> that is not commissioned by God that is a work of man and that is something that uh, this is actually called as you can see here Herod's temple this was under construction in the time that we were reading this they were actually still building this but this is what it would this is what it mostly looked like so I show you this because when you hear about Jesus preaching a lot of the time it happens on the porch of Solomon or in the court of Gentiles or in the court of women and it's happening in these places, and it's significant because Jesus is, he also preached from, you know, the court of Israel as well, but a lot, most of the ministry of Jesus was on the porch of Solomon, where the sick people were, where the poor people were, or in the court of Gentiles, and he was, he was drawing a crowd, and that's exactly what the apostles did. Every time they got released from prison, they would go to the porch of Solomon, and that's where they would teach, and what would happen back then, so we, we read about Gamaliel, right? He was a teacher of the law. And what would happen is you would connect yourself to a <laughs> rabbi or a teacher, and that's how you would become educated in the scripture, if that's what the route that you were going to go. So they would gather on the steps around, or they would gather in here, different areas, and they would literally we will read later in Acts that Paul was a, he He, he learned from the feet of Gamaliel. So what would happen is the teacher would stand on the steps and the people who were his disciples would literally sit on the stairs beneath them at, at their feet and listen to them teach. And uh, I don't know if this happened back then, but today if you go to Israel, I have not been yet, but if you go there, there's different people wearing different sizes and shapes of hats or yarmulkes or... Uh, You know, we've all seen people around LA, you know, dressed in the black with the little curl here and the hat. In Israel, those people are all over the place, and a lot of them have different sizes, shapes, and hats, and that shape and size of a hat is actually, you can tell by looking at somebody, what sect they're part of, and even sometimes what rabbi they follow, who who they are connected to, and the the teachings that they... Wait, so today? Today, yeah. So that's, that's how it is even now in Israel. Again, I don't know if that's what was happening back then, but the same type of thing was happening where you would connect yourself to a teacher and you would learn from that specific guy. You'd basically be a disciple of that man. So again, what I want to sort of talk about here, and the title of tonight's sermon is Good Idea, Bad Idea. I'm not sure if you guys ever grew up watching the Animaniacs, as I did, but there was a segment, a cartoon, where... They would say like it's time for a good idea bad idea and then there would be like good idea feeding the pigeons in the park and then bad idea feeding a pigeon to a bear in the park and then the bear would like (laughs) eat the guy so as i was going through this there's some good ideas bad ideas we talked a lot about sort of the juxtaposition between the sanhedrin and the apostles last week that continues into tonight's sermon and even into next week as well, but the the first good idea, bad idea is the good idea is creating a place for God's people to gather, worship, and encourage. That's what God did. He established His temple for people to gather in large, because none of these sort of inner walls existed. It was a large place where the altar was, and God wanted His people to come and gather and worship Him in a loving space. So the bad idea. It is what man ended up doing and they created a place where God's people divided it was a place of competition and it was a, a place where they tore each other down and even sort of stole from each other Jesus when he came to the temple in this court in in the court of Gentiles they had had booths and a bunch of things set up to sell people sacrifices so people would come in with their you know purest sheep or doves that they were going to sacrifice, and people would look at it, no, that's not good enough. You need to buy one of these actual pure, uh, approved by the priests sacrifices, and so we will buy yours uh, for, you know, a little bit, and then you'll have to buy this better sacrifice for a lot. So they were ripping off God's people, and then they would take the sheep, and sometimes they would sell that same sheep to somebody else then later. So they were, that's why Jesus got really mad, made his whip, and said, you've made the house of the Lord, a den of thieves, because they were literally stealing from and ripping people off and using the temple for a place of commerce rather than a place to worship God in a safe and genuine place. We can go to Isaiah 56, verse six. It says, also the sons of the foreigner, this is God speaking through Isaiah here about the way things should happen. And it says, uh, also, the sons of a foreigner, speaking of somebody who's not Jewish and is traveling there, who, well, we'll read on. It says, who joins themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. So this is somebody who's not Jewish, but they decide to follow the Jewish ways. They are a Gentile that's becoming, basically, a Jew. It says, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant... Even them I will bring to my holy mountain, that's where this temple is, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. So this altar was not supposed to be separated from the Gentile who became a Jew. This was supposed to be for all believers in God. There I think if memory serves, there was some sort of like a Gentile, I don't think could be like a high priest. They could still tend to the the things that happened within the temple the cleaning things and, and taking care of just the, the temple duties but I think that they were they can't be like a high priest so that was one of the restrictions and what man does is they become very legalistic right and we've talked about this a little bit before but they take a law of God and they say hey good idea let's make sure people follow it the way we think or let's make typically more laws to make sure that this law is followed so God says remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And they're like, okay. And God says, don't work on it. So we're gonna actually put a step rule where you can't walk over this amount of the space. We're gonna make this extra law, a law of man, to make sure that the law of God is, is being upheld the way we think it should. And so that, that happens and happens and happens until things get really out of hand. And that's what Jesus comes and calls out a lot when he talks to the religious leaders. So very much the same thing is happening here, where there's a small law of like, hey, like, yeah, they shouldn't be priests. And they're like, oh, let's keep them out of the holy place. Let's keep them. Actually, let's put them in the super like outer courtyard and they can just hang out there. We don't want them around us better, you know, religious people. And so that's what the temple looks like. This temple was destroyed, as Jesus prophesied that it would be in 70 A.D., completely leveled, completely destroyed. And now, as the Bible tells us, there's a new temple, right? The Bible tells us elsewhere that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And then right before Jesus ascends, he sits Peter down and he, he sort of transfers his ministry as we've talked about, of teaching and doing, he transfers that to Peter, and Peter is now fulfilling his calling that God gave him. And in the series right before this one, we went through the two letters that Peter wrote, and he wrote in First Peter, you are living stones. Right? This, there's a new temple now. This temple's gone. Right? The physical temple is done away with, and there's a new temple, and you are part of it. Paul says, you're the temple of God. Not you individually, but as Peter says, you're living stones that make up that temple. Jesus was our first living stone. He's the chief cornerstone. Peter was sort of the foundation of creating that first and early church. He's a living stone. We will meet him and he will be part of the, the temple that we are also a part of. And we will be the temple and the bride of christ as revelation talks about and so when, what we need to think about and and do again when we go back to the good idea bad idea right we need to really try and make our community our little part of the temple that we make up uh, a place where god's people can gather worship and encourage each other towards God. That's our goal here. That's what we're trying to do. Not only here in this little group, but other Christians that we come across, other people that we bring into the kingdom of God, we need to make this a safe place where we can worship and gather and point people towards God and loving him the way that he made us to do. Uh, A little bit more about Gamliel. It says he's respected by all the people. Why is he respected by all the people? Well, he is only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. A lot of what we know about him is outside of the Bible. Some historical stuff that we know about him. And one of the things I've, I've heard said is that he knew a lot of scripture. He was one of the guys that, like, he and his disciples, like, they needed to memorize most, if not all, of what they called the law. Like, Old Testament, like, massive portions committed to memory. Like, these guys knew a lot of Scripture. People came to him for wisdom. People came to him for answers. He was, you know, the Bible answer man. This guy had a lot of Scripture under his belt, and he was respected for that. He was a smart guy. He was a very educated man. And history also tells us that he's a little bit of a... A lenient guy, so people like that about him as well. He mentions some false Christs that came before Jesus in Acts here. And uh, what isn't really talked about a lot is that there were people who tried to set themselves up as Christ. Uh, There were people that came before Jesus who would try and copy some of the prophecies to set themselves up as this political and religious leader, and they did lead people away, as Gamaliel talks about here. For instance, one of the things that people would do is the triumphant entry, like they read that prophecy, they're like, okay, like, so they would, on the date it was supposed to do, they would, you know, buy a horse or rent a horse, and they would ride into Israel and have people celebrating them, you know, and they would try and fulfill these prophecies and try and mimic them to make, to set themselves up as Christ the difference when jesus came is that everything that he did everything that he said fulfilled prophecy and proved that he was the christ furthermore as we know god the father proclaimed and bore witness that jesus was the christ this is my son in whom i am well pleased audibly publicly very loudly people were amazed and that's why jesus got the following he did because God the Father says, This is him, this is the Christ. He sets up John to to uh bear witness of him. God the Father bears witness of him. And now as Peter's been saying, we all saw him, we all met him, we all walked with him, we are bearing witness. And again, as old Testament law, you know, you need two or more to to make something happen, right? To to establish anything. You can't just have one witness. You need at least two. Well, they had 120 at the beginning of Acts. Now they have grown into the thousands. The church is booming. The Christians are growing and gathering more into the kingdom of God. So more and more and more people are proclaiming that Jesus is Christ. And uh, although there is some wisdom in, in, it sounds a little bit like wisdom, right? Gamaliel stands up and he says, you know hey let's just wait and see if it if it lasts then we know it's from God and if it doesn't we know it's from man well the leader has already died and his followers did scatter but when Jesus rose he gathered his followers back together spent 40 days with them 500 people saw him all these 500 people are proclaiming we saw him we know him they are establishing the early christian church and they still don't believe. They don't believe these witnesses. So although it sounds like wisdom, what he says, he mistrusts and he mistreats God's people here. People sent by God, the apostles, he mistrusts and mistreats them. Second Timothy chapter three, as Peter said in in chapter two, right? he, He proclaimed that basically we're in the end times at the beginning of his sermon. And you're in second Timothy chapter three. in verse one, it says, "But know this, that in the last days, right? Right now, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors headstrong haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away so although it seems like what it's not a bad thing to say like hey let's pump the brakes here and not be you know brash but let's give it some time and we'll see how this thing pans out that's good advice typically right but in this situation They are healing people. They are continuing the ministry of Jesus. They are proclaiming truth. And what's happening here is that Gamliel is still, as we talked about last week, right? They wondered what the outcome would be. There was a miracle where the apostles were set free from this locked gate it was guarded. Somehow they weren't there. And then they were preaching in the temple and they're like, huh, I wonder what's going on here. Like. That's a miracle. More miracles are happening right before your eyes and you're wondering? And that's what Gamaliel is doing. And I'm listening to a podcast right now and the the pastor is going through the book of John. This past week was talking about the blind man that Jesus healed in chapter nine. Jesus spits in the dirt, he makes mud, he heals this blind man. And it's the greatest day of this guy's life. He was born blind, never seen anything and all of a sudden, he's seeing light, colors, beautiful faces. He's like, this is a miracle. And the officers come. They take him before the council, and they're like, all right, we need to get to the bottom of this. It's the Sabbath. Who healed you? Like, what's going on here? And they are trying to trap and trick Jesus. That thing that and they were really vicious about it they questioned the guy's parents and the guy's kind of sassy like hey i never never even saw the guy you know i first thing i saw was the this body of water that he he asked me to go bathe in and they questioned him again and he's like why are you asking me this do you want to follow jesus so he's a little sassy he, he, he plays with him a little bit and the thing that i want to pull from that story is that this is the same council that was in jerusalem this is in jerusalem Gamaliel was part of that council, he's part of this council. He was part of that questioning. He was part of setting up the false accusations against Christ. He was part of the whole thing of trying to break down Jesus's ministry. And so when Peter here says, "You killed the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." They're offended because they did. They were the ones. Gamaliel was the one saying crucify him. He was the one that was getting that done. So, again, as we see here, it's like, oh, wow, he saved the apostle's life. Yes, he did. And and that's an amazing thing. and I do believe that that is the work of God. But we need to see. And there's, there's still hope for Gamaliel. We'll see next week that many priests were saved. They did come to know the truth. But at this point, he's not doing this because he believes in Jesus. He's not doing this because he loves the apostles and, and thinks what they're doing is great. He has seen the signs. He has seen the work of Jesus. He saw Jesus himself and he's still like, ah, sort of agnostic about it. He still wonders what the outcome will be. He's still saying, let's pump the brakes. It's like, really? like The guy you like plotted to and then killed rose from the dead and all of these people are proclaiming that truth. And you're like, ah, oh, let's wait and see. So here's our next good idea, bad idea. Good idea, don't trust everyone, right? Not everybody is trustworthy. Jesus said when he sent out the 70 disciples to to heal in his name and proclaim the kingdom of God, he said, beware of men, right? Beware of men. Like, it's good advice. Not everybody's trustworthy, not everybody's safe, not everybody's good, not everybody is out for your best interest. Don't trust everybody. You know use some wisdom use the Bible and the Holy Spirit to to find out who is safe and surround yourself with those people but the bad idea is not to trust anyone and here we see Gamaliel still saying oh we'll see how things turn out and again holding that agnostic view of like oh you know if if he does what I think that Christ should do then we'll sort of see if that happens and holding that agnostic view till the end there's a danger there because by the time he sees what he wants it'll be too late when he sees Jesus coming in power with fire and destruction it's going to be like oh okay now I believe it's like well right (laughs) but as uh Jesus said to or as Abraham said to the the man who cried out to Lazarus like give me a drip of water or send somebody from the dead to like tell my family and Abraham's like they had the Law and the Prophets, they had all the evidence they needed, and they still denied it. It's, it's, it's It'll be too late by the time you see what you're waiting for. A few more good ideas, as opposed to some of the bad ideas that we just talked about. One of the good ideas is to not just know Scripture, but apply it to your life and let God change you. Right. We see here Gamaliel having a lot of knowledge. We, he, he's very respected by the people. He has massive portions of scripture committed to memory. Deuteronomy talks about writing the word of God on your forehead and on your right hand, right? And so what these religious leaders would do at the time is they would make these pretty little boxes. They would write down some scripture, put them in, they called them phylacteries. And they would put like a band and put this box on their forehead or head or wrap it around their wrist. And it's like, you're missing the point. It's talking about what you think and what you do. Your forehead, your right hand, what you think and what you do. Make it the word of God. That's what Deuteronomy is talking about. Another good idea, don't just seek to be respected by men as Gamliel was. Gamliel was respected by all the men, says. But don't just seek to be respected by men, but seek to have peace with God. Because as we see the apostles do, they do disobey these people who are the religious and political leaders at the time. Because what they tell them to do is the opposite of what God tells them to do. So they don't, oh, okay, well, we're going to be respected by you and obey you and do what you say and be nice and be lenient and, you know, say all the right things. No, they say, you said don't preach Jesus' name. Well, the, the angel just left told us to preach in Jesus' name. So then they preach to the, the Sanhedrin. They preach the, the name of Jesus to them. And they get angry. Another good idea, don't let religion overrule God. And that, we talked about that with the temple. And we obviously see that in, in the life of these religious leaders is they love their religion. Jesus says they love their high seats. They love the respect of men. But that's the best they're going to have. Jesus is basically saying, this is the closest to heaven that they will get. Like, that's it. It's not very good. It's not that great. So don't let religion overrule God. Sometimes we'll have a theory about scripture or a theory about God, and we read something in scripture and we're like, that disagrees with what I believe. Then you're wrong. (laughs) Let scripture change you. Shift that belief. Move away from that wrong idea and move towards God. Stay away from just straight up religion and and move towards that relationship with God. Number four here I have get off your high seat and go see. Annie and I are watching this British show that I don't remember the name of, but it's based on this little island off the coast of England and it's based during the time of World War II. And there's this scene where they're in the Senate, right? And all these senators are arguing like, oh, we heard that the the whole army is leaving our island. They're going back to England and they're just leaving us defenseless. And then these people are I didn't hear that. That's not happening. That's not true. And one of the guys in the Senate literally, literally gets up, walks out, gets in his car, drives to where the army is and is like, hey, what's going on? And they're like literally getting on the boat and they're like, yeah, we're leaving. We're not going back. And so he gets back in his car, drives back to the Senate and is like, I just went and talked to him. They're leaving. Like they're leaving right now. So. They could have done that this this sanhedrin, this council that is together, they could have said, "Wow, like that's a miracle. They literally disappeared from the jail and now they're in the temple preaching, they're healing the the sick and blind, they are doing all these crazy miracles, and they are proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Let's go and see what they have to say, and instead they they don't even say the name of jesus they we told you not to preach in this name, like, oh, what name Jesus you know and and so they they are refusing to hear the truth. They don't want to get off their high seat and go see what Jesus is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing through his people. They want to stay on their high seat and just continue to tear God's people down. Number five here, I have another good idea is, do not position yourself against God's anointed. Do not position yourself against God's anointed. In Psalm 105, it says that God will warn kings. Uh, and he'll warn them, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And he says he's going to warn kings of that. And that's, that's what's going to happen. And, but what we will see throughout history is that kings and leaders, they will oppose what Jesus is doing. And they will harm God's anointed ones and his prophets. But what these people are doing is they're positioning themselves. And what Galileo ultimately does, even though, yeah, he fought for them not to die. But then he is a part of. But let's beat them. (laughs) Like, let's beat them and scar them because we're not talking just a slap on the wrist. I mean, these guys were whipped and beaten for preaching the name of Jesus before they let him go they They beat them, and they are positioning themselves against God when they do that, because they are harming God's anointed ones, the apostles, the very ones sent by God, and they are they're doing harm to his prophets. But how do the apostles respond to that? Do you guys remember what we read? They were yeah, they rejoice. They respond with positivity. And they continue to move forward in their ministry and in what God is doing in them. They stay focused. So if you've heard nothing I've said all night, I need you to hear this. Do not let the things that people do to you hold you back from what God wants to do through you. Don't let what people do to you, the sins people do to you, hold you back from what God wants to do through you. Our final good idea, bad idea is, good idea, staying focused on what God wants. Bad idea, staying focused on what you want. Many times people will sin against us. Something will happen to us or we will be offended by something and we want justice. That's not how the apostles respond. The apostles easily could have responded with anger, with bitterness, with entitlement, right? Like, do you know who we are? Like, the Holy Spirit, like, an angel just showed up and told us to go do this thing. Like, do you know who we are? Like, we are entitled to this thing. They could have uh, responded with retaliation, like, oh, they didn't like that? They're really going to hate this. And sort of made their focus the people who are opposed to them rather than the people who need to hear from them. Right? They could have made their focus like, oh, we're really going to get him now. No. Focus on the people who God is sending you to, not the people who are positioning themselves, making themselves your enemy. Don't make it that your focus. Make God's calling your focus. Or they could have responded also with fear, like, I don't want to go through that again. We were beaten, we were whipped, we were punished for doing this thing and, you know, even used scripture, right? Oh, we're supposed to submit to authority. They said, don't preach. They hurt us. I don't want to do that again. I'm just not going to preach anymore. No, they rejoiced for uh, being worthy to suffer, it says in verse 41. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, for Jesus' name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ they didn't respond with anger, bitterness, entitlement, retaliation, or fear. They stayed focused on the ministry that Jesus gave them and on the ministry that God wanted to do through them. They continued to do the work that God had started in them. And that's my hope and my prayer for you guys that God will continue the work that He has started in you, continue that sanctifying work, but also give you that vision and give you that focus on the, the job, the work that he has to do in your guys' life every single day. So uh, stay focused on that. You will see opposition, whether it be circumstantial or whether it be people straight up sitting against you. Things will happen that hurt you. Things will happen that will make you want to deter, will make you want to stop, will make you want to just be depressed and go sit in a room somewhere and not leave want to introvert, want to just completely remove yourself from the whole equation. Things will happen that will make you feel that way. But we need to stay focused on God's calling on our lives and not let our circumstances, no matter how painful they might be, hold us back from what God wants to do in us. Let's pray. Here guys, I want to thank you so much for being a part of our lives, giving us a calling and giving us a community, God. I pray that you will fill us with your spirit and help us know how to pour into that community, how to make ourselves useful for you. God, if we don't know your calling for our lives yet, I pray that you will reveal that to us. If there's some smaller steps that we need to take first, God, I pray that you will just help us focus on those grow in you and grow into the ministry that you have for us to do, God. I pray that you will empower us to become strong where we are weak, God, and when we are sinned against or when people oppose us, God, I pray for strength that you will help us to focus on you, what you are doing in our lives and what you are doing in the world and and how we can be a part of that, God, not be deterred by circumstance, God, but be empowered by your spirit to do the work that you have to do in us and through us, God. I pray that you bless the rest of this evening, help us to be glorifying to you in everything we do and say, and bless the rest of our fellowship tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.